0: SAS SaaS backwards is sponsored by Austin Lawrence Group, specializing in demand gen for SaaS. It sure is noisy. I deleted hundred emails from vendors just this morning. Your buyer has gotten better at ignoring you and you're going to need a big idea if you want to cut through all that clutter. Austin Lawrence is just the right agency to help you find it. So if your campaigns are falling on deaf eyeballs, let's talk. Visit AustinLawrence.com today and let's build something bigger. Welcome to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, where we reverse engineer the success of fast-growing SaaS firms and explore strategies CMOs and CEOs are using to drive their businesses forward. Welcome to SaaS Backwards, a podcast that helps SaaS CEOs and CMOs to accelerate growth and enhance profitability. Our guest today is Chuck First, CMO at Reverse Logics: an end-to-end, fully integrated returns management system built specifically for retail, e-commerce, manufacturing and third-party logistics organizations. The goal of the system is to deliver a superior customer returns experience, save employee
1: time with faster workflows and increase profits. Hey Chuck, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Ken. Happy to be here and happy to talk about a a variety of topics today, which is always interesting.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you. And before we dig in, could you just give people a little bit more about you, your background and your company, Reverse Logics?
1: Yeah, as you noted, a CMO for Reverse Logics, you know, I think we fit nicely in what would be a broader category of supply chain management software, which is where I've spent the majority of my career mostly in Different marketing roles, but also spent some time in some other areas of the business, including product strategy, product management. I had an opportunity to work in product marketing as well. So as I always describe to people, I think, you know, it's important as you kind of, you know, assume more responsibility within the marketing realm to have some various experience across those areas of the business. It gives you better insight to kind of a lot of the market-facing and customer-facing pieces of the business.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree. If you want to. Have a broad responsibility, it helps to have a broad background, right? So you have to build yeah. intentionally as you go. So I want to dig right in. I think all of us have experienced product return, right, in today's online e commerce lifestyle. But I think people need to understand
1: what this area of endeavor is.
0: You know, what is this category really? You know, what's happening here?
1: Yeah, great question. It's very relatable to us, right, as consumers, when we think about, you know, returning products. You know, I think everybody's been to some degree spoiled by Amazon. And a lot of businesses have tried to create that same experience. Returns management, as you think about it, is we think it's a very new category. Where, you know, one of the goals when I came on with Reverse Logics a few years back was really to kind of create the category, create recognition of the category within the supply chain software suite. And if you go back you know, many years, kind of a broader category of reverse logistics has been around forever, but that was largely geared around more of the services and transport of return products back to an endpoint, not necessarily the nuances of what do you do with all of those products once they're returned. So reverse logics essentially... Tr- manages that entire experience end to end so you know we talked about the amazon experience right you know everybody's used to going into their account on amazon when they need to return something they select the item or items they're sending back and you know it's really easy process so we create that similar experience for other brands that want that right a branded portal if you will for their customers to interact and send product back Beyond that, right, we manage all the process. And then once it reaches a warehouse distribution center, something has to happen with those returns for products. And that's where we pick it up and really manage all of that nuance with configurable workflows based on the product type, what type of inspection, grading, verification needs to happen. And hopefully that product ends back up, you know, on a shelf to be sold again, if it's in new condition or it might, some of the other areas that are growing are kind of resale and re-commerce secondary channels to again, sell those products, give them a second life versus throwing them, you know, in a landfill or something like that.
0: So, I mean, are you guys creating a broader definition of returns and are you trying to create something like a separate category out of this like deeper engagement in the process?
1: Yeah, we think there is room for it. So we call our solution returns management system and really that's intentional because we cover so many more areas of the process. As you think about this particular category, there have been, you know, other vendors in the space that have, you know, much of the focus initially was just on Making the returns process easy for the consumer, whether it's, you know, a consumer as an individual or a business, if they, you know, are dealing with a business-to-business transaction, making that process easy, which solved part of the problem, but didn't solve probably where there's the most resource intensive part of the process for a business, which is when those returns end up going somewhere, what happens with them? So if we just take care of the front end of it, don't really address the back end, you know, you're just kind of pushing the, the problem down the line. So intentionally we created a platform that manages the whole journey, right? We'll help you make it easy for your customers to return product, but also make it easier for a business to then manage those returns products, get them back on the shelf, get into another channel. Do it efficiently and at scale, which is, you know, one of the biggest changes in the market is just the scale, right? We've seen many years of growth in e-commerce sales, which is just creating that larger problem for a lot of businesses in terms of what do we do with these returns? We're selling more online, we're getting more returns what do we need to do about it? The problem has got to the point where people are investing and needing more purpose-built technology versus, hey, we're going to use our ERP system for some of it. We're going to use our warehouse system for some, and then we're going to band-aid and duct tape the rest of it. So,
0: I mean, this problem existed before e-commerce was a big thing, right? I mean, if we're talking about electronic products, if I didn't like my headphones, I returned them to Best Buy. Mm -hmm. So what's different about today's retail or, you know, B2B distribution than maybe five, 10 years ago?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I think so much of it has rightfully so, right, been about the experience, the customer experience, making that process easier for you. And, and, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, you would return those headphones, you might go in there and, you know, wait in line and, you know, go through this process of, you know, somebody taking a look at it to give you a credit. So much growth has come in terms of the volume of products and how frequently customers are buying items. And with that, you know, have come a bunch of other challenges in terms of, you know, how do we make sure that, you know, those headphones are still working condition and, you know, it's not a counterfeit product and things. There's all these different challenges that come about due to the volume. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces is just the amount of products that are being returned. You see that has, Grown, And I think the e-commerce piece of that, right? So if I buy something online, most people want the convenience of being able to send that back easily, or maybe drop it off while they're out and running, you know, I don't want to necessarily pack it all up. So can I just, you know, bring it to a UPS store and drop it off there, right? So there's all this convenience around the customer experience, which businesses want to provide but it's also created it's highlighted gaps in current processes to support that. And so as you get into looking at the volumes and wanting to deliver on that customer promise, you need to make sure that it's still a healthy business because the costs have mounted quite a bit in terms of resource costs, transportation costs, all these different things to support that experience overall.
0: So does a solution like this mean that more of those returned goods can actually be sold at close to or if not their original price. I mean are we capturing
1: more revenue than we would have otherwise? That's definitely one of the primary goals, right? How do we move that return product through the reverse process as quickly as possible to then again recoup some of those costs. So a lot of times it's you know back in the day if you know those products were ending up at a warehouse and you know I've spent in a, a lot of warehouses over my career There was always a corner of a warehouse where that's where the returns went. And you didn't know if it was grade A product that's in the packaging, all the labels are on it and it's just sitting there, right? And meanwhile, you might be getting orders for that same product and it's showing out of stock. So it's just, as I mentioned earlier, kind of kick the can down the road. So this big pile of returns. Now it's, you know, how do we intake those returns in the daily routine of a warehouse or a business Inspect them really quickly, grade them quickly, make that product available for sale, or again, you know, push it to a secondary channel if needed. Part of that, you know, some of it can be very simple, right? You're getting a shirt back, you want to inspect it, or the tags on it, any stains, anything like that, right? Nope, it's grade A condition. But to your earlier example, right? A pair of headphones, right? We don't want to just look at it and, you know, put it back on the shelf or put it back in inventory, right? It might need to be tested. Somebody's got to plug it in, make sure the sound works, and then, you know, make that determination. So being able to support all of that, do it fast and efficiently, and that's where some of the challenges were in terms of if companies wanted to process returns, they didn't necessarily have the technology to do it. They would do some of it via spreadsheets, some of it via another system. So it just made that process Long and kind of a painful experience for their employees. So it wasn't always the thing that they wanted to prioritize. So, for your clients, I mean, what is their journey here? What does that look like?
0: I mean, like, where are they today often? And, you know, how do they get to achieving the vision of the solution? Like,
1: what's that journey take? It's a great question. And kind of, you know, as you look at a new category or new category of software, you know, we've been talking about some of the challenges. So, I think businesses know they have a pain, right? But they're not necessarily aware of the category or what options are available. So part of our process with customers and with the market overall, right, is not different than a lot of other categories, but there's a lot more, I would say, education and, you know, discussion around what is this platform? What does it cover? What does technology solve? Everybody has a very specific I think use case and challenge. So even though we provide a solution that covers all areas of what we'd say the return journey or life cycle, most often a, a customer comes to us and they're feeling, you know, acute pain in, in one particular area or they're in charge of one area and they want to solve that. So it could be, hey, we need to process all those returns a lot more quickly in our warehouse with less labor and, you know, they're looking for something, but they don't necessarily know what to call it right they're not necessarily calling it returns management software when they search for it or something like that so we need to be aware of what the market's looking for what are some of the pains what do people think about or what do they call this pain you know how do they describe it so that when they're looking for it they can find our solution as well so definitely you know it's not new but heavy focus on on a lot of content but also educational content that helps buyers find the right solution for them
0: so we're really, you know, like some of our favorite books here are the Challenger Sale, Challenger Customer. And in fact, we had one of the authors of those books on the podcast just a couple episodes ago. I don't know if that got to you, but it sounds like this is a an opportunity for some commercial teaching, right? You have a prospect base that knows they have some kind of problem, but they may not be
1: solution aware, right? Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: So is a lot of your marketing effort trying to gain agreement on the problem with them, like we understand your problem and we want to help you
1: frame that out and frame out a solution? Definitely. So we do a lot of traditional thought leadership content. Some of it is around understanding what are some of the things to look for in your business, right? What are different areas you want to measure? I think one of the areas that has been most impactful is just kind of from a cost perspective. I think there isn't necessarily a broader understanding of the depth of the cost, right? We've talked about a few of them in terms of, you know, resources and just handling products, but then there's transportation and, you know, when you sell a product on your e-commerce site, that's where most of the excitement is, right? E-commerce sales are growing, but When those returns come back, right, we should really be subtracting those from your gross sales. So you have a net sales picture, but the industry or or a lot of companies haven't got to that point yet. So it's, again, equipping some of the buyers to understand what are some of the questions to ask internally? What are some of the areas to look at? And then what can technology do to support their business or their business case? And a lot of times we're working very much hand in hand with our customers and building that business case, help them shape that story internally. And again, what areas, what are the most impactful areas, but what are some of the less understood areas of cost where they can help alleviate some of that?
0: So is there sort of an analytical component to the solution, uh, analytical and reporting so that they can drill into like which products or categories of products are driving more return issues.
1: Yeah, you hit on a, a very, very good point there in terms of, hey, you know, we want to make this process easier for a business. But I guess the holy grail, if you will, for a business is really how do they reduce or prevent returns in the first place? And you really can't make inroads there until you understand the problem at a, at a little bit deeper scale. And that goes back to, you know, why are we getting product back? And maybe you might find out that a particular shirt keeps coming back more frequently. And when customers return it, they say that the color didn't match their expectations. Okay. you know, So we need to put better descriptions or photos or images on the website. Back to that headphone example, right? This pair of headphones keep coming back, the plug wears out or something, right? You know, something is faulty on that, That then points to something more upstream in the manufacturing process, but without really being able to measure that and have visibility across kind of the, the entire returns journey you don't have that data or you don't have the data in, in real time to make decisions right so you might go through a whole selling season with those headphones and find out hey we've had a faulty component the whole time we've got you know a 30% or higher return rate on those wouldn't it have been great to know that a month into that process or a week into it so you could then you know figure out a resolution i think there's probably a lot of things people
0: could imagine once they start Digging into the data, right? There's a lot of ways to be creative about understanding the flow of returns and how to reduce them or create more revenue on the back end of those returns. So it's an interesting business problem. I want to shift gears a little bit with you. A company recently had a private equity deal, right? And that's changed things for you. And I'm, I'm curious if you can kind of elaborate on how marketing has had to ramp up and gear up for different expectations with an investment like that.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, something I've done a few times in my career in terms of being in a similar role when, you know, I think it's a lot of times the traditional process or trajectory for a startup business, you know, especially in tech, right, is kind of, hey, let's, you know, build something, solve a problem, validate market need, fit, product fits, and then you grow and then you're like, Hey, you know, we're ready. You know, we think we can really scale this. We've got something, you know, you go through that process of, of taking in some money, which then you have, you know, other voices in the business to some degree, a little bit different expectations sometimes around time, time to growth and things like that. But more often than not, the commercial side of the business is a lot of times where that investment is going, right? Product's been proven. It's in market. So a lot of the development costs are baked already. Now we just need to, you know, pour more gas in the fire in terms of how do we spread more awareness around the solution, generate leads, generate sales, things like that, at a much faster clip. And so that's kind of the familiar seat. We've, you know, got a, a nice investment from somebody that's familiar with the supply chain space in terms of Cambridge Capital, which is great. So they're, you know, definitely a great partner in that. But you know, the expectations around growth from a, a marketing and sales perspective, you know, get accelerated and, you know, you need to put some of that money to good use in terms of where you're going to make investments to drive the business forward.
0: So what are the top three or four things that you've been doing and, you know, how, how are things playing out?
1: Yeah, it's always a unique challenge when you're trying to create a category, right? In terms of, you know, I think a lot of times when you come into a situ- situation like I described, you know, it might be, hey, we're just going to push everything into lead gen and demand gen and try to move the needle there, which definitely doing here at Reverse Logics, it's been a focus area. But also when you're creating a new category, trying to create recognition of a kind of a new market challenge and, and tech, there's a lot more. I would say investment and just kind of awareness, storytelling to some degree, thought leadership content, how do we really validate our positioning with the markets? So a lot of focus and effort just around interaction with the customer base or prospective customers to just understand how they describe the problem, what are some of their challenges, what's resonating when we Say something about our solution or the value we provide, does that resonate or is it something completely different that we didn't even think of? So I think there's been just a very fast iterative process on messaging and positioning that we've been working on while also at the same time, you know, trying to drive growth and scale for the business in terms of leads and demand gen and do that in a way that the market's going to be receptive to, you know, in a new category.
0: If my memory is right, you did have a recognition from Gartner, right, as a cool vendor, are things like analyst relations new in your toolkit or, you know, is what's new, I think is a good question. Yeah. What are you doing differently?
1: Yeah. Excellent question. We fit in a category of software, as I mentioned, supply chain software, but we're what I would call as an enterprise solution, right? It's enterprise software. It's not, necessarily a SaaS solution where somebody can, you know, go onto the website, enter a credit card and, you know, get access to it and you're up and running, right? It's involves a lot of different area of the business. It's not necessarily a, a super heavy lift, but the implementation and the impact of the business is very big. So it's an enterprise solution. So that's where, you know, analysts and validation and more of a peer network and influence helps in this area. So Analysts relations is not something that's new for me, but I saw it as a key vehicle for us just because we we're in a new category. We needed some validation as an enterprise solution, right? It's the the old saying, nobody gets fired for hiring IBM, right? So there's always this idea of, you know, hey, we're going to invest in a fairly new software solution with a newer company or product right so how do you build more credibility around that so that was a key area of investment and then just working with existing customers to help i think tell the story around the value they were getting how we were proven large enterprise deployments is critical so i those weren't necessarily you know i think new ideas but it was probably the degree of focus in those areas was much heavier in terms of my you know, initially coming into the business than it might be for other startups in this space or in a different space, I should say.
0: Yeah. It also occurs to me that there's probably a big role here in post-sale implementation, right? The getting adoption of this solution is, is probably complicated, right? Can you speak a little bit to the role of customer success in getting the solution going and how that also helps build the flywheel for marketing and sales?
1: Yeah, it's a critical area of our business. You know, our goal is to make sure every customer is happy when they go live, but also that once they're using the solution that they're, I think, broadening exposure, right? You know, I think pushing more returns through it is great, but you know, how are we giving visibility of the solution to other areas of the business and the impact? How do we get more users interacting with it? And then how do we help them? make sure that they're measuring success along the way. So our customer success team works very closely with our customers in terms of after go live business reviews, what are the things we want to benchmark to make sure that you're getting the value out of that and look for opportunities where we can drive even more value in the business. As I mentioned, a lot of times we start in one area and, you know, solve that. And now how can we, you know, allow them to get more value out of the system. But at the end of the day we want happy customers that you know spread the word as peer networks are critical to any business but definitely when you're in a newer category people are going to talk well, what are you using for returns or how did you solve this and you know that's where we're going to be found the most often it's not necessarily you know through us calling or emailing people consistently yeah when we did our prep
0: we kind of talked about pricing and packaging and i'm wondering if you know, the packaging aspect of the solution is an important part of like growing, like the land and expand, right? So what you described, we all call land and expand, right? We start in one area and we hope to grow. Is
1: pricing and packaging contributing to the ability to do the land and expand? It really is. And it's, you know, one of those other Areas of focus, you know, still is today, was a couple of years ago as well, you know. And I think you want to align with how the market and how your buyers, you know, essentially purchase solutions, right? Technology. And I think that's evolved over time, right? You know, from the days of purchasing a big monolithic ERP system that was just all, you know, how many users and, you know, you're going to get access to this versus, you know how do we align with the value that the system's going to be delivering you know are we focused on kind of customer experience and you want to solve that piece and so you know having a a price and packaging that aligns with that that makes sense to the buyer as they define value right so the last thing you want to do is put something out there and they're like well that doesn't make sense we're paying for all this other stuff and that's you know less impactful for what we're trying to solve today so i think the The modular approach for a business, even when you have a platform, supports what you noted as kind of the land and expand model. But I think it gives you a lot more flexibility in how you work with your buyers in terms of the value they see, how they envision buying software, and, and can you align to that. So it's going to be easier for them, you know, not only to buy it, but then see the value and then want to broaden the partnership with you. So a little more
0: focus there in in what you said. I just want to sort of unpack it a little bit. By having a modular packaging approach, the land part of land and expand is made easier because Mm -hmm. the value accrues sooner. So we're not trying to sell the whole solution to you all at once. If you're experiencing the pain on the returns experience, let's start with your own customers, the end customer experience, and let you solve for that. And by the way, there's all these other things waiting for you, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's been an important piece for us and just in positioning the value of the solution, right? And, you know, we'd love for every customer to come in and say, yeah, we'll take everything, right? There's always, you know, expectations around, we want to solve for one one particular area. If you can prove your value there and, you know, make the customer happy, they're obviously more invested in the relationship and want to see where they can apply it to other areas. But there's also a confidence, I think, that comes with buying from a vendor maybe that has a lot more to offer versus just buying from, you know, very narrow point solution if you feel that you have other areas to expand with, right? Right. So it allows you to
0: lead the customer to a vision, but get them started today. So it's kind of a nice place for an enterprise software to be. You you don't have to digest this monolithic giant piece of software. You can get the benefit of a point solution with the future of an enterprise product, right? It's kind of a cool way to go to market. One of the things we talked about was And I think, you know, I want to give some kudos to you. You know, you've said that you try and stay really close to your customers. And one of the ways you do that is by listening to call recordings, right? Sales calls. Can you elaborate a little bit on starting that process, the outcome of listening to those calls and, you know, what else you're doing to stay close to your customers and prospects?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, become a critical discipline exercise from a market standpoint, just in terms of, I think you, you tend to get very focused on, you know, this is how we, you know, this is the value we provide for customers. This is how we describe it. This is their pain. And you can get very tunnel focused in terms of tunnel vision and just driving your message and not, you know, kind of checking back in with the market to say, does this still make sense? And, you know, are, are they calling it something else? So I try to, as much as I can listen to, you know, not only listen, but be part of active discussions with perspective customers, as well as existing customers. And oftentimes I'm listening to what their questions are. What are they curious about? What's not resonating? How do they describe a problem? Who else in their business do they need to work with? And then that really starts to inform or reinforce what we're doing from a messaging and positioning standpoint. And that's just you know not only calls and meetings, but also when you go to a conference and things like that, just try to be curious and ask a couple of questions and really listen to what that customer is saying and how they describe things. Because that, I think, you know, companies and marketers can fall into a trap of just, hey, we're calling it, this is what some, you know, our competitors position it as. And, you know, we think we have all those answers, but our customers are thinking something completely different or they've got a different challenge or they just describe it, you know totally different than how we're positioning it and we're missing the mark right so that's the the worst place you want to be yeah i think it's really
0: important to stay fresh and contemporary with how customers are approaching their businesses and for example one of the reasons we do the podcast here so that we can keep a finger on the pulse of what marketing leaders and CEOs are facing so every week we're having these conversations just to enable that kind of dialogue and just learn from folks like you what what challenges are in your businesses. Last thing I want to touch on, Chuck, is you've been with these guys a few years, came in as like a VP of marketing and grew into and got promoted into a CMO role. And I think that's an aspiration for many of the people that would listen to the podcast. I'm curious how that came about. What did you have to do within the organization to Make that transition possible for yourself. I think it's great to have that that kind of outcome as a marketing leader. So I'd love to know how you how you made that come about.
1: Yeah, you know, it was. I would say it was a nice surprise. Necessarily, wasn't something that I was shooting for initially or anything like that. But it was great, and I've had the luxury of having a very, I think, open minded and you know, creative CEO that you know, understands, you know, hey, marketing is not necessarily his role, right? He he gave me the freedom to kind of start to shape that and drive that aligned with the goals of the business, but really give some level of freedom. I think from, you know, kind of to your question, my advice there, you know, as I come into a new role like that, especially when there's maybe some expectations to grow more quickly in terms of just on the commercial side is really to try to deliver early wins, Demonstrate some track record of success. Don't try to solve everything at once or don't come in and say, Hey, you know, the first big noticeable thing I can do is revamp the website. You know, that could be part of your plan because you're looking at messaging and positioning, but you know, I kind of shy away from that being the first thing you do, right? How do we, you know, retool one area or how do we drive some leads right away and start demonstrating traction while also working on some of these other areas? So that's Definitely was an area of focus for me, get involved in other areas beyond just marketing, right? We talked about kind of listening to the market and conferences and call recordings and taking all of that in, but also try to be as active as you can with that as well. And then working with existing customers, you know, what was their what was their journey with the the company and the product and what do they think about it today and where are they, you know, where's their their business going? And I think that just gives you a much more well-rounded view of the business, product, customer base, but then also just your sphere of influence on the business becomes much greater than, you know, I just, I don't want to say just marketing, but you can be more impactful in other areas, pricing, packaging, strategy, things like that. So if you want to be a
0: leadership executive you have to be a leadership executive
1: yeah have that mindset right you know whether you have the title or not but i think you know be curious and try to be impactful to other areas but you know always be curious and you know listen to the market is one of the biggest pieces i think
0: hey that's a great place to land our episode chuck first thanks so very much if listeners want to reach out to you learn more about your company or have other questions for you how can they do that
1: Yeah. Easy to find me. It's uh, Chuck at reverselogics.com. If you want to email me, otherwise Chuck first on LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to reach me. Perfect.
0: And if listeners want to get to me, it's LinkedIn slash in slash Ken Lembit. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. It's available wherever podcasts are distributed. Chuck first. Great job. Thanks so much for being on SAS backwards.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to the SAS backwards podcast brought to you by Austin Lawrence Group. We're a growth marketing agency that helps SaaS firms reduce churn, accelerate sales, and generate demand. Learn more about us at www.austinlawrence.com. You can email Ken Lempit at kl at austinlawrence.com about any SaaS marketing or customer retention subject. We hope you'll subscribe and thanks again for listening.